Welcome back. My name is Cody, and you are listening to Weekly EP. Weekly EP is a Berlin-based music podcast with guest musicians from all over the world who write and record a short album in one week. We listen and talk about how it was made. This is episode 28 with three-piece band The Plains from Brooklyn, New York. I chatted with singer and guitarist Stephen Perry about their weekly EP, and we got pretty deep into songwriting, alternate tunings, and making music a part of your daily life. As always, we'll do a short intro interview, listen to the new record, and then dive into the creative process of how the record came together in seven days. But first, here's a taste of that record. Check, check, check. Am I loud enough? Do you want me to turn the gain up on this a little bit? No, that's fine. That's perfect. Yeah. Okay, great. The first question is, what is your name? Uh, my name is Stephen Perry. Um, okay, that's the answer to that question. Do you want me to go on with the band? Do you want me to do a little little intro? Uh, well, the next question is, uh, what is the name of your music project? So The, the band is called The Planes. That's P-L-A-N-E-S, like the flying planes or like the geometric planes. Um, not the planes as in like the great planes, uh, even though okay. sometimes, sometimes we aspire to greatness. <laughs> and where was this album recorded? We recorded it basically in, in my apartment, in our bass player's apartment. And then we did drums in our practice space, which it's all, in, all of this is in Brooklyn, New York in, in various neighborhoods. And what I was going to say inspired, but that's a silly word. Uh, why did you or what, why were you interested in doing one of these weekly EPs? Well, it sounded like a really fun project. And for us, it was like, you know, we, you and I had talked about doing it months ago. Yeah, I think when it first started, actually. Well, so we were at that point supposed to record a full length album. We had a bunch of studio time booked, but because of the pandemic, our plans really got messed up we had to postpone everything and postpone everything we didn't practice for a couple of months and then it was like our practice building has opened up again for like limited occupancy but we're a three-piece so it's fine we got pretty much to go to boot camp to get all the songs we wanted to do on the album ready for the studio so you asked me about it about maybe a couple weeks before that and i was like i'd love to do this (laughs) but we really have to like go to town on getting the album done so we can go in the studio and record it and i'll get back to you when we're done with that and you, I remember saying, yeah, we'll see if it makes it past like six episodes or something. So here we are. <laughs> yeah, and here it, we are. It has, so 28. So, you know, I've listened to a bunch of them and it's always interesting to hear what people come up with on such short time. I'm constantly blown away by it, actually. Like it's, uh, it's always really kind of exciting when the record gets sent and you're like, yeah, let's see what this is. And it's always something really interesting, really cool and, and a lot bigger and and wider in aspiration and in execution than I would expect had I not now witnessed it happen so many times. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, songwriting is just kind of like a, it's it's about making a series of decisions and sticking to them and you know, you okay, I'm going to play this chord, I'm going to play this chord, I'm going to play this lick, whatever. When you're on it, you just make those and you you set them in stone when you're on a deadline like that. You know, if if it's mm-hmm. unlimited time, you can second guess yourself, you can take forever, so that's why I thought it was a pretty cool project. And yeah, we're happy with our stuff. I want to talk a little bit more about what it was like to go from recording the proper record that you guys had been planning for a while and then immediately being like, hey, guys, by the way, do you also want to do that again, but much faster? <laughs> yeah. But you know, I want to get into that after we listen to the record. So the next question is the music on this EP. Would you say it's pretty much in line with the kind of stuff that you guys normally write and record? I mean... I'd say that it's like it's in line with what we normally do a little bit in the sense where like there's a lot of like subgenres of rock and roll that we draw on. I kind of like having to dabble in different sounds and styles 
And this is a little bit more diverse just because one of the songs I use an alternate tuning, which I never use, but I just wanted to screw around with something. And I felt like I would be creative with it right away. And I was. And then another one uses the mandolin as, as, a, as a prime instrument. And that's something that I uh-huh. pulled out recently. I don't know what it's like everywhere, but in New York, there's no live music allowed officially mm-hmm. but there's a bunch of bars that have outdoor areas where it's sent, like technically you're busking it just happens to be nearby you know but it's actually like part of the, the bar's night of entertainment so to do one of those where we couldn't use anything that was plugged in uh mm-hmm. you know my, my bass player who doesn't have an acoustic bass probably wouldn't have projected well anyway uh play guitar acoustic, i know i never understand acoustic basses so i just want to get that off my chest i just yeah i don't understand them that i can you can never hear them if you're playing in like a dead quiet room, maybe, but like the volume and, uh, that an acoustic bass can reach versus a guitar, it's just it. It's true. <laughs> uh, it just it needs it needs to have you know it needs to be mic'd or have a pickup in it. it, it they, they have a cool sound and they sound like acoustics, you know, but like a bass. But yeah, it's yeah, just playing one out in the open. Like you got to either be in a really quiet room with with other musicians who are purposefully playing super quietly, or <laughs> or you're not going to hear it. Um, yeah, imagine like cowboys doing their campfire thing, and yeah, <laughs> someone brings out an acoustic guitar, and everyone has to sing like really, really quietly. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, we can get more into ridiculous conversations like this in a moment, but this is the silly question. So, your silly question of this episode—that's a weird way to say it—but your silly question is: What kind of dinosaur would you have been, and why? Oh man, that's a tough one. Um, I think I'd like to be a pterodactyl. I feel like it says a lot about your personality if you're like, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a T-Rex. Like, I'm not a T-Rex type, right? Like, I don't know too much about the pterodactyl's personality. I'm not sure if our scientists really do either, but I think they're really cool and they can fly, which like, if you're going to choose something, like, why not choose something that can fly, right? You won't have to worry about T-Rex. You could just fly away from T-Rex. You can see the yeah. whole like, you know, Jurassic world from above with a big like brontosauruses or allosauruses or whatever, you know, grazing. It'd be beautiful. And uh, you could have this really this new perspective that I, that the land-based or sea-based dinosaurs would not have. So I would, I would choose pterodactyl. Okay. I, I think that's a very reasonable choice indeed. What was the right answer to that? <laughs> There's no right answer to dinosaurs, you know? Okay, one day maybe. Um, would you like to say anything as like a preface to introduce the record or? Uh, I don't have much to say about, you know, it was it was just something that we we had this project and we we hammered it out. Um, we'll talk in length about, you know, specifics of it later. But yeah, I mean, it just it came out and we were happy with it. And now you guys get to hear it. Okay, that's a pretty good intro, I think. So without further ado... This is the Oracle of Marcy by The Plains.
And we are back. And uh, I don't know if it's worth saying, I might just delete this later, but I feel like maybe it's fun to add a little disclaimer, I guess, that uh, you and I know each other from New York and we both yes. worked at the same toy slash clothing franchise. Yes, we did. It was a, a roller coaster for sure to work there. <laughs> I still remember the one winter while working there where I, I got to the shop and it was dark and I left the shop and it was dark. <laughs> and in the middle of the day, I would just unpack boxes, restock shelves, uh, check out things. Yeah, Lenny. I know. Because he slept in the store and a lot of times I would come into work in the morning and, and he would just use the bathroom on the floor, you know, cause he yep. was an old dog that lived in a toy store. Uh-huh. Um, and, and then the best part is that like 30 minutes later, there's like kids playing in that same spot. On the floor. Yeah. yeah. He was a very sweet dog, but it was like, that was particularly a bad winter. But we saw Jonathan Richmond at music hall that winter too, right? Oh yeah, man. That was an amazing show. So something good came out of it. <laughs> Anyway, let's uh, move on to the music conversation. So in general, of course, <laughs> I do want to talk about the instruments that were, you guys used and the recording method you used, because you said earlier that you recorded in multiple locations, which I think is always a fun challenge when making something like this on a, on a time constraint. And mm -hmm. I also do want to talk about how the week itself went, writing the songs, recording the songs. But the first question I want to ask you is... <laughs> what the process was for having just finished a, I would imagine pretty intense during these times recording session and then gone back to the, the other two members of the band and gone, Hey guys. So I know we just finished this album, but do you guys want to do another one, but in seven days? Well, I mean, I basically, you know, it was really good. I think because there's always this big letdown after you record an album, at least for me, you know, for us, it's like we went in there back to back weekends, four nine hour days and a lot of practicing to get really tight before we went in because we wanted to do a full length in that amount of time. So basically, it's like we're working really hard and we, you hear it in the studio monitors and it's great, but it's, it, it wasn't going to be mixed for a month. So it's like we did all this work and then but like the next day you're like, OK, I want to listen to it, but it's not there, you know, so we had to wait. And, you know, I felt like this was kind of a cool thing to work on to fill up some of the time between that anxious time between actually having recorded it and getting the mixes back hmm. and coincidentally so the mixes came back while i was mixing this project For first i was like oh i'm gonna feel so bad about my work but i think that i did a pretty decent job considering that the tools that we had were really minimal i mean this is recorded with a four channel usb interface and an sm57 the drum kit's got a 57 on the snare, 58 on the kick, and two like ultra cheap Sterling brand pencil mics overhead um, <laughs> nice. that I got I got for like $80 for both of them. So it's like, you know, yeah. this is this is minimal <laughs> stuff, but you make do with what you have. You know how recording music is, it's like there's stuff that is, is awesome. And if you really listen to like, well, let's, let's really listen to the snare sound on this. Like it's maybe not that great, but it works, you know, like. Carlo Mancillo, the drummer, and Matt Sklar, the bassist, are both game for doing whatever, provided they have the time. And, and these days, uh, you know, we have a good amount of time, you know, <laughs> so much like we're not going out, um, you know, it's it's reduced outdoor seating. It's kind of always a little bit awkward here still, you know, and probably will be for a while. There's no more shows, you know, like like there used to be. There are a few shows here in Berlin and they limit it to 25, 20 people in attendance. And then everyone has to kind of space out. They have to wear a mask. Part of me would really love to go to something like that. But at the same time, it just it wouldn't feel like what a show is supposed to feel like in a lot of ways. It's still going to take a while to either adjust to that new normal or to find a way back for people, you know, mentally to to do a show again where you could be standing in a room with a bunch of strangers shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. You know, we have a friend who's in a band here called The Roxies, and they played an EP release show or seven inch release show last year sometime. And it was at this medium sized bar. You know, they had a, a stage and a decent sized back area for that. And it was so packed. You couldn't even, like, I finished my beer. I couldn't even make my way back to the bar 
which was six feet, two meters behind me. I couldn't even physically get there. So I just totally. had to hold on to my empty beer glass. And it's like the idea of a show like that now seems insane. <laughs> it, do, it does. You know? But at the same time, I think that once there's a vaccine, which will probably be at least another 10 months. But if, if that happens, if there is a vaccine that's widely distributed and effective, it may be that we forget about this pretty quick. Um, which to me would be mm. uh, a bad thing ultimately because this this didn't get as bad as it could have got. Like here right. in New York, you know, we had those like three weeks where we were on lockdown and there were sirens going. Everything was silent except for sirens. You know, you see your neighbors getting hauled out. You read about, you know, have friends who work in the healthcare industry and like these over, you know, these hospitals are just overflowing, the outside morgues and stuff. Like there was a lot of us expecting that to go on for an additional month and it, and it didn't. We did actually, it flattened yeah. the curve, stay inside. But you never know what the next pandemic is going gonna, is gonna to do. Um, I mean, I will say to bring this back to music for uh, a moment, um, like, you know, the fact that the three of us in the planes were all together for social gatherings and stuff, two or three practices, shows, we all got exposed together. So mm -hmm. months later, I don't think that any of us felt worried about getting infected from another one since we had already been exposed to it all at once. Uh, no, that's good. Plus, it could be a strain on the band dynamic. One or two people had never been affected and you had like a practice or a recording session. So it's like, now we both have Corona because of you, man. Like, I don't know. I'm kind of pissed off. And it's like, oh, that's and then like, you know, months or years later, it's like, oh, is that why your band broke up? Like, <laughs> I, I mean, it's, so, look, I'll tell you, COVID, <laughs> COVID broke up a lot of bands just because a lot of people in New York, at least, moved out of the city or they lost their jobs or. You know, I know a bunch of people who were thinking about leaving anyway, either because they lost some income or just because the, the time seemed right to get out of Dodge. They did. Right. And a, lo a lot of bands who are like, yeah, we haven't played in six months. My accordion player is in Nashville or something like maybe not that exact situation. But, you know, it's like people, like that. That's, that's happened a lot here. And most of the local bands are not I don't think are like that active at the moment, which is it's fine because there's nothing to do really anyway, too. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's let's start talking about the uh, the songs themselves. One thing I want to say is I got a lot of vibes in general on this of late '90s, early 2000s, sort of like old school indie rock, and even like a little bit of I don't know what it'd be called, like kind of like post punk, kind of uh, not pop punk. I don't mean that in like a you know diminishing way, but like it definitely had. A, yeah, no, I, I know. <laughs> okay, kind of like a, a fun nostalgia, but it was obviously a new version of that, but it just kind of hearkened back to that day. And it was kind of nice. Had some cool guitar solos and just driving tempo that was just like, okay, yeah, I, I like this guitar tone. You know, I, I remember it, you know? Yeah. Thanks. I mean, you know, I kind of grew up playing like guitar and writing songs in, in the style of what I guess you would call nineties indie rock, some in the early aughts. And especially if I, like a project like this where I'm trying, I'm not thinking too much about it. You know, I'm kind of like, all right, we got a verse, let's write a course. You know what I mean? It's like mm -hmm. to get through it in, in that time, you got to do it that way. So it was a lot of, oh, this feels natural. This is right in my wheelhouse. This is something that the band will be able to catch on to easy and let's roll with it. Uh, I will say, you know, I used uh, the first song, uh, the Oracle, I used mm -hmm. uh, an alternate tuning guitar not just alternate tuning, but like alternate strings, like it's two G strings, two D strings and two high E strings that are tuned to D sharp. Really? Um, yeah. And it's like a, it's like a sonic youth tuning. And I was like, I should do something okay. in alternate tuning. Cause I never want to do that with band stuff. Cause I don't want to lug around different guitars, like to play live, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. Here in New York. I mean, to, to those of you listening at home, like I don't have a car. We rarely ever get to gigs by car. We usually use a, a Lyft or an Uber or something. So it's like, you know, or the subway or, or the subway, yeah. I mean, it's great if you don't need to bring any heavy equipment. You can take mass transit or walk. But that's definitely like very early 90s Sonic Youth vibe. You know, some of the music that's really influenced me a lot over my life. And then, yeah, then the other one where we use the mandolin, like obviously like you get REM vibes whenever there's a mandolin because like they're the only band that's ever had a popular song written on the mandolin um, <laughs> since maybe like the 1940s, you know. And then that, that one song, The Gallows, I was like, I would just put it in front of the guys and it'd be like, just improv it and we'll do four takes and we'll take the best take or whatever, you know. But um, I woke up one morning and picked up this crappy old guitar and I was like, I'm going to write a dumb punk song. And, that's, <laughs> and that came out in a matter of minutes. And so that was that, you know. We can get 
back to that a minute, but the post course and the gallows, it just felt so early 2000s to me for some, you know, just. Yeah, <laughs> like I can just, hear that for sure. One thing that I find helpful is when we're discussing the songs, when were they written? How did the recording process kind of go throughout the week, right? So we have the seven days. Yeah. So yeah, basically the way we mapped it out to do it was like, I was like, I'm going to start on Friday and by Saturday night, I'm going to send out like one or two guitars and scratch vocals. And then Matt has two days to put bass lines on those tracks and send them back to me. And then Carlo had Tuesday to practice and Wednesday I went in and recorded drums and then Thursday I mixed the whole thing. Mm. And during that week while Matt and Carlo were working on their stuff, if I can get like one verse and one chorus worth of lyrics, then I'll just record those as a scratch for, you know, whatever, send it out to the guys, let them work on it while I am back home trying to write the second and third verse. Not that the verses are always different from each other, but you know what I mean? It's like, so the whole time they're working on their parts, I'm like overdubbing better vocals, writing lyrics and writing other guitar parts that and overdubbing them. So that's kind of how we broke it down. And it worked really well. I mean, if we had to do five songs, it might have been impossible, but we got four done. Yeah, that's all you needed. But I mean, that's four complete songs in in a week is pretty awesome, especially when you're working with multiple people in different locations, you know. When you do everything on your own, stuff comes together quickly because you don't need to like learn the other parts because you already know them. You know what I mean? Like, so like, hopefully, (laughs) right, hopefully, but usually at least centered into like whatever was like the the guitar one track, you know what I mean? Like that I wrote it on Mm -hmm. and we hand it off to someone else and they have to kind of Whenever you're writing a part to go with another musician, you have to learn their part in order to write your own in a sense, or at least kind of get the idea of what it's doing so that you're working with it. Um, But both both Matt and Carlo are incredibly talented um, and really quick as far as, you know, you can just you can put a song in front of them and they run through it a couple of times. Is it going to be as evolved as a finished product on an album might be? Probably not, but the mm-hmm. parts are going to be good and work with the material, you know. So it, it it all came together. And again, we'd been practicing so much and recording in the, in the studio, so we were we were locked in. I think and comfortable with how things are going to play out. You know what I mean? I hadn't thought about that exactly. I, I'd kind of thought of it maybe more from like a perspective of it being just like an extra like, oh, okay, we got to do this again. But yeah, if you just finished recording another album, now you were already in that groove. So it's just kind of like, all right, here's another thing. Like, you know, it's like, all right, cool. I got my amp set up how I want it, all that kind of stuff. And for me too, I mean, just personally as an artist, I walk around the apartment barefoot strumming an unplugged electric guitar for 20 minutes to an hour a day. And a lot of times I write little riffs and stuff that I turn into songs. But when we were doing for the couple of months leading up to this album, I was like, no, turn off the creative juices. We need to tighten bolts mm. now. You know what I mean? Like we need to like. Yeah. You don't need to be suddenly like, oh, I have a new song. It's like, no. like. <laughs> yeah. There's two songs written in quarantine that made it onto the full length album. But any more than that, it would have been too much for us to get together, you know, like in time. So mm-hmm. For basically like trying to turn off that creative side, it was, okay, I get to be creative again. I get to write. And that was really something I was looking forward to. All right. So then track one is The Oracle. Yes. I guess it kind of reminded me in a lot of ways of a built to spill style guitar work. It's like that fun way of, of making a guitar, like an electric guitar, like noisy and crazy without just putting a bunch of fuzz distortion on it. Yeah. I mean, so... You know? The, and the magic behind that tuning is like the two sets of unison strings that are a half step apart. Um, mm-hmm. Like okay. and for the, no, the the noisy parts that are just like incredibly dissonant. I'm just using like just one distortion pedal for effects and just barring a fret. So it's like, <laughs> you know, you're, you're hitting two nice. notes right next to each other, which, you know, is the most dissonant sound you can make with, you know, Western style tuning. Yeah, that tuning just lends itself to hitting that occasionally. But there's mm-hmm. weird things like, I don't know, alternate tuning. It's like I haven't played around with it that much. But uh, when you're doing something that's really wildly different than standard, like you kind of have to throw out all your tricks and kind of come up with something on the fly. So a lot of the guitar playing is like I'm not doing as many scale runs and stuff because I just don't really know where the scales are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, or it's, yeah. it's hard when they're when they're unison strings tuned to each other. It takes a lot of movement to, to play a full scale. So you're working on like what kind of finger positions sound cool chord wise, strumming it frantically and trying to do little riffs that are super, super simple, like, you know, up to the third and back or whatever that, that song is. 
Cool. And in terms of the lyrics, I like to ask, but no one is ever under obligation to answer. But I always okay. kind of like to ask like what the song was about to you or the lyrics are sort of going for. Or... So the Oracle is uh, based on a tattoo that my, my wife has that's in Greek by uh, Heraclitus, who is a pre-Socratic philosopher about the Oracle of Delphi. And the quote is like, neither speaks nor conceals, but shows a sign. Mm. And I think it's, it's a cool quote and it's mysterious and it looks awesome written in Greek. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I, I was kind of like, I was, that kind of like, I can just take like that, that pairing as like neither this and this, but this, and just kind of like go and just describe something that's sort of like an Oracle. There's this wisdom and there's this mystery to it. And it's obvious to those who are receptive and need to hear the message, but it's not something that is is plain and easy for anyone to understand or, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, its meaning might not be quite what it looks like, like kind of just kind of playing off that theme. That came together lyrically easier than the others because I had that concept. Um, right. And I, I just I just wanted to say I do I just really like the line, especially is older than the flame and wise enough to fear it. Yeah, I was proud of myself when I wrote that cool. one. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Yeah, uh, that one really stuck out to me. It's just being like cool. Yeah, I mean that's a song with like, you know, it would be fun to just sit down and write another like four verses to that, you know. Like uh it was it's mm -hmm. it's a cool process when you get something I think lyrically established. Writing lyrics is always the hardest part of music for me. Well, writing lyrics and singing well, but right as far as the creative process is concerned for the album, you know, the songs were like done quote unquote, but I still didn't have lyrics to stuff. I'm still thinking of names to songs. So a mm -hmm. lot of the summer was walking around late at night in the neighborhood in circles just to be outside and trying to think about lyrics. And I listened to a lot of Leonard Cohen, uh, who I always find to be really, oh, yeah. really inspiring. And I feel like he has a lot of those songs where it's kind of like, uh there's like a certain like this or that or like one and the other thing that is kind of just repeated with different adjectives essentially um mm -hmm. or whatever but i feel like i kind of like got on that wavelength for some of the lyric writing and it really worked out pretty well other stuff it is a lot of just kind of like trying to sing the melody and feeling like the mouth shapes and then trying to form those into words that don't sound awful you know what I mean? And then you're kind of like, oh, well, I guess I said this sounds good. This line looks good and sounds good. So I guess the song would be about this or go in this direction. And that's kind of how the other three came together. Personally, I have very little experience with writing melody first. There was like one song on the last proper record that I made, which I made like four years ago in New York and finally put out a couple of weeks ago. I was walking home from, I think, the rec room on Flushing. Mm -hmm. Back when the rec room existed before we became some weird buffalo wild wing sort of thing yeah, that never totally. opened sleep in the bar and i was walking home to my apartment and i just had like a little weird melody that kind of popped in my head that was like a a melody with like a lyric fragment from a uh a nursery rhyme and i got home and i just like picked up my guitar and i just started kind of humming the melody to myself trying to figure out like what chords would fit the melody and nice. um, somehow i managed to do it like i've never really written a song like that since or before that you know just like having a melody and like, cause I wouldn't have written those chord, that chord progression necessarily, you know? So I was always curious, like the way that that, that comes for people, you know? Cause like, I feel like the idea of creating the melody first makes a lot of sense, but then I feel like I wouldn't know what to do for the lyrics. Well, I think that you're kind of on the minority of that. I think most musicians I know write the melody first with like maybe a line or two and then fill in the lines around the blanks. Maybe I, actually, I mean, I've never done a, a real poll. That's always just the feeling I got from people. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why it kind of puts me in a, a jam writing lyrics a lot too, because it's like, it's something that's easy to put off once you get the kind of the initial first verse down or whatever. And a lot of times I'm like waiting for inspiration to come, you know, with this, obviously it was like, all right, I was like, you know, by the time I get the bass tracks back from that, I'm going to have the second verses done. Like by the time, like I'm going to lay down the, the real and another day I'll finish them. Like I had to, I had to be on that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's a weird game, you know. It's like who can say like why stuff comes to you when it does really? Like that that drunk melody, like that's there's probably like three other ones that you've had that you didn't oh, remember. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> um, yeah. there's tons. There's I don't know. I mean, I guess you it sounds like you do a lot of walking around the house playing music and just kind of singing along and making stuff up, but 
I do that yeah. all the time as well. Like when I'm cooking or cleaning or whatever, or something happens with the cat, I just start singing a song about it. And I'd say, you know, a good, you know, like maybe one, you know, like one quarter of the times that happens, it's like a melody or some lyrics that just, you know, luckily, happily from the ether or wherever, just I find particularly clever and uh, really fun or really like a nice melody or something. And uh, then, oh, it's time to flip the eggs or something, you know, and then boom, it's gone, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's gone, like, gone forever. Yeah, I think that's maybe one of the only reasons I would ever welcome the mass surveillance state tech company, Amazon, Google, smart speaker recording everything dystopia is that I could be like, hey, uh, you know, Google, what was that song that I was singing at breakfast? You know, I'd be like, this is the song you were singing at breakfast. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, 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 cool. <laughs> you know, that would be nice just to have a a creepy little overlord uh, recording everything I do just so I could get those melodies back. But otherwise, they come and they go, <laughs> which is kind of nice. It's kind of beautiful sometimes, too, you know, to like have known that some really cool song existed for a brief second and then it's just gone. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the interesting things about this project, too, is like we kind of like, you know, we've been talking about what we're going to do with this down the road. And, you know, the options are either like kind of work on to continue to develop, develop the songs for a future recording or to maybe just do a little bit more work in the mixing and put this out at mm -hmm. some point as a as an album on like Bandcamp or put it as like an official planes release, you know, or right, whether yeah. to just have it as something that it just existed for what it was and we didn't do anything else to it. Because there's something beautiful about, I think, music that happens spontaneously in the moment or even just like this is like a good like snapshot of like what we did in one week you know yeah and there's something about that that makes it special that not everything needs to be developed we don't need to be hoarders of music as musicians like we can let our creations go i think it's fun that they kind of exist in an imperfect state or not an ideal state you know whatever whatever that is i don't know yeah i mean and it's also like i don't know like from doing this like full like studio album too it's like you know, there's a lot of imperfect stuff on like professional recorded music. I mean, it's it's there's a lot of like things that were mistakes that ended up sounding cool. Or I, I know that every time I record something, like a lot of times I hit a note funky or I do something I wasn't really I slide up to a note instead of just hitting it or something weird that, that kind of is a technically a mistake. But I'm like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. I'll, I'll learn to like it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, I think that if you sat down with some of like the most well-known albums of all times with the musicians and you'd hear them talking you'd be like, oh man, I missed this note here. You know what I mean? Like, so the imperfection is a part of music and this just kind of makes it come out at front because the necessity of having to finalize stuff. But uh, it's always a part of music, you know, whether you're taking a year or a week to do a recording. So bad with transitions, but I do want to talk about the next song. Um, okay. Yeah, let's move on to, to song number two, which is The Scandal. And uh, yeah, the scandal. But my, my couple stupid notes on this uh, are uh, nice guitar tone, cool guitar solo, and what is the scandal? Question mark, question mark. Okay, <laughs> so basically, uh, the scandal isn't really a scandal. So the the verse that to that the song I kind of just wrote one night, like, and I thought it was acceptable. And then the bridge part, which mentions the scandal where the song gets its name, I, I didn't have written. And I went to the Met, which is open again for some inspiration. And before I went in, I was like drinking some water, sitting on a bench. And there's this soccer team of like middle school kids. And I thought like, how cool would it be to do like a time-lapse video of this like big red blur of people walking by. But then I was like, oh shit, like I'm like this like 40 year old single dude sitting on a bench videotaping kids. Like I should not do that. <laughs> so I, I thought better of it. And I was like, whoa, that was like, you know what I mean? Like it was totally obviously like, innocent like i just thought it'd be a cool visual but i was like no you can't do that so then i go into the museum and there's a bunch of signs up for covid regulations about standing so far apart and all the bathrooms have this extra signage and i walked into the women's room by mistake which like you know i got in there and i, and I started using the bathroom i was like oh oh like crap i'm in the women's room i hope i don't upset someone and i got out of that and then after that, I was I was going through an exhibit and I saw uh, one of my favorite paintings in the Met, Madam X by John Singer Sargent, which was like this really huge scandal when it came out because it's so like sexually suggestive and it's a beautiful painting. And I kind of like just felt very scandalous after that. Like those three things happened within the course of like 40 minutes. And I just was like, oh, like I just had like kind of like something that like 
without really defining like what it was just being like this is a scandal i don't know that's where i got that from so okay yeah that sounds that sounds like a good uh, origin of that but it also sounds like a somewhat stressful experience out at the met yeah obviously it was all like larry david-esque like mistakes to happen to somebody that thankfully didn't blow up my face like it would to to larry david you know so and you sent me the lyrics uh, yesterday, but before that, I was trying to figure out. Um, apparently, I'm really bad at understanding words lately. I am but, too. I am uh, too. Uh, so it comes in again in, in the last verse. I think no one is that eager to sit in this pen or in yeah, my I, pen. <laughs> when I first heard it, in my mind it said, "No one's that eager to play in this band," and I don't know how. <laughs> You know, like when I listened to it again with the lyrics, I was like, well, clearly this is what it's saying. But like, how did that happen in my brain? I don't know. Oh, man, maybe you're projecting something onto this. <laughs> That's why I'm a solo performer. Um, no, it's, it's, it's intense insecurity. Um, so what is the what in this this pen? What is that? What is the meaning behind that poetry? You know, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know, like the. I wasn't really thinking about it too much, but it, it kind of it, it came to me, I think, as like just thinking about the city and thinking about the amount of people who are moving out. And it's, it's not supposed to be a bigger statement about like gentrification or anything, but like right. just going from like everyone wants to move in New York and like prices are skyrocketing on rentals to like where we are now, which is like there's so many people yeah. looking for roommates, empty rooms. And then during the lockdown, especially like it kind of felt like a pen. But it always kind of feels like uh, a closed okay. area, you know what I mean? When you're when you're in the city, but that's just I think it was on my mind. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not a grand political commentary. It's just a yeah, yeah, yeah. bit that kind of floated through. Yeah, the pen can okay, be a no, metaphor cool. for anything you want it to be. But for me, I think I was thinking about like no one's too eager to join this lockdown with us all. I think that's interesting. I had a friend who was like, uh, who lives there, who's, who's like, yeah, if things continue the way they're going. I might actually be able to afford a single bedroom in uh, Greenpoint in a, like a year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're like, hoping. We're hoping. I mean, it's like I, I yeah. love my apartment, but I, when we resign the lease, we're gonna ask for less. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's talk about song number three, which is the Gallows. My silly notes here on this one are Big Start, which I, I liked, aloud, like, poof. And then uh, almost punk rock, and then a sort of typed out emoji of a smiling face. <laughs> nice. Uh, and then uh, I really liked how in the, I guess, the chorus section, the vocals and the guitar part kind of mimic each other. They kind of, they're kind of in parallel. I feel like I've used all of my uh, musical vocabulary on like episode 12 and now I'm just like <laughs> saying stupid things all the time. But I, I think, yeah, it had just like a really nice energy to it. A nice, it has a really driving force behind it, which is why I think it, the post-chorus and stuff like that kind of reminded me of the early aughts, the early 2000s stuff. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of a... That that whole thing with the the chorus, the vocals, and the guitar kind of blurring together like was a little bit of a happy accident. Uh, I decided to put like a preamp plugin cranked pretty high on the vocals, so they had some like distorted characteristics. And the way that the overdrive of that breaking up, it kind of matches the fuzz on the guitar to make them sound like almost kind of like they're jointed. They're they're like they're together. The fuzz could almost be like the overloading of the vocals on another track. But again, it was like that song and Scandal both. I woke up Saturday morning or Friday morning and I picked up a guitar and I was just like, I feel creative right now. And like, let's just do like, you know, a silly punk song. And I, I was kind of thinking about like my inability to keep a secret costing me in like Trump's fascist America where you can be sent to the gallows for any little mm -hmm. thing, you know? So it's a little yeah. bit dystopian in that, in that, or I guess it's very dystopian in that, in that sense. But I wrote like three or four verses to it and they were mostly awful. So the ones that we got were like acceptable. <laughs> 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 I really like the lines, uh, uh, not as if it matters, but the rent is in the mail and the parking tickets paid. Yeah, totally. Right. Like I'm trying to be a, a good, responsible person, even though I'm like about to be hung for like criticizing dear leader. But I mean, that's kind of the perfect vehicle for like a punk song though, right? I think so. Yeah. I mean, that's probably like the most politically aware song. The other ones are kind of just more about like whatever I happen to feel, like whatever creative direction I got in, I just went with. Like I said, I wrote a couple of verses for it and they weren't really about, they, they just seem stupid, more stupid than the ones that I came up with. 
but it's also a, it's like that song gets by on energy i mean that's what that's about you mm-hmm. know it's like from the big the intro chord to the riff to the end of it it's like it's really just about keeping the tempo up keeping the beat strong and just going kind of carefree with it so i i guess that that's probably the most political one but again i don't know we all have our own personal gallows right or something <laughs> the also the I guess the chorus bit in general is, uh, I think, particularly scathing or kind of uh, depressing in a, in a kind of upbeat sort of way. The why can't I just see the trap in front of me and get down on my knees to save my skin, you know, which is a lot of uh, intense imagery, basically. I mean, I guess that's one of those things you can interpret in different ways. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like in the context of the song, it's kind of just like you just need to not say certain things. But for whatever reason, people will and and people should be obviously allowed to speak their minds. That goes without saying. But it's like, you know, it's like, why can't I just shut up, keep the secret Mm -hmm. and stay alive for a lot of people in a lot of societies? Still, like there is that that question. Can they keep their mouth shut, keep their opinion to themselves and stay out of trouble? Again, they should always be able to say their opinions. But, you know, there's a lot of regimes around the world currently that will imprison you or hang you for saying the wrong thing. so that's kind of, I don't know, that's depressing, but it's true. And that's kind of what the song's about. I also just love that last line of the chorus where it's like, you know, it's why can't I get on my knees, you know, that kind of stuff to save my skin. And then it's just, oh, where to begin? <laughs> There's a lot of reasons why I can't save myself. <laughs> so it's like a little bit of levity on the end of that, which is, which is, I think is kind of nice too. It's like, it's, it, you know, it adds a little sarcasm or a little bit of a tongue in cheek, like, ah, geez. In the same way that it's like, well, I paid my parking ticket, you know. Yeah, I mean, good uh, punk rock least. music should be like kind of sardonic, I think. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, exactly. It's almost part of I it. think that's sort of how music should be as well. In general, it shouldn't be super self-serious most of the time. I mean, I love super serious songs and have written what I think, you know, my fair share of them. But I also love like just like like the Ramones or something, you know what I mean? Where it's just like it's escapism and absurdity and it's something that just rocks in a way that is totally mindless. And I think that's something that's good about it. You know, that it's, it's just like, mm-hmm. I think that there's room for both. And I think that ideally, like my music, I probably tend a little bit more towards what I consider serious stuff, but I, I do have a good amount of stuff that I think is just kind of like, this is fun and kind of silly. Even if there's, even if there's the lyrically, like it might be a little bit more serious the way that I think about it, but it, it's still like, you want people to move to your music physically. Like you want people to dance. You want people to like feel the beat, feel the groove. Yeah, I guess I write a lot of serious music too. So I'm a bit of a hypocrite when it comes to that. But a little bit of each is always a good middle ground. I think just even for sanity of writing, like if you write a bunch of really serious sad songs or whatever, then that's what the world becomes too, sort of. But Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, we don't need to (laughs) continue going down that path. Let's move on to the, the fourth and final track on the EP. And this track is called The Earthquake. And of course, my first note, on this song was is that mandolin question mark question mark yes um exclamation point exclamation point uh it's 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 a mandolin i've had it since uh i think my mom gave it to me for my 19th birthday it's a cool little instrument that i hadn't played much anymore and i kind of dug it out to do some acoustic stuff rework some of the the plains songs on the mandolin just because it was a good pairing with an acoustic guitar and it, it's a pretty loud instrument, totally un- unplugged, unmiked. So it's it's good for that too. Unlike the acoustic bass, which we tore to shreds earlier in the interview. <laughs> so I had that out and kind of like I restrung it and I was like, I'll do one on the mandolin. I'll write it primarily just because like picking up a different instrument when you've been playing music, really even for a couple of years, but definitely for 25 years, like I have like mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff on the guitar I, I've done already. Over the years, I've copied myself in a bunch of core changes and stuff, but I try to not anything in the last like two or three albums. I try to like stay away from those same core changes with a mandolin. It's like it's all all bets are off because I never play that instrument. So I'm like, all right, I can do whatever I want. I won't be copying something that I just recorded or whatever. And I threw down a little acoustic guitar behind it. And Carlo did an awesome job with the drums and Matt did a great job with the bass. Uh, I, I, I know less about what that song is, is about than the other ones. I don't really. <laughs> yeah, there, I was going to say, because there's a lot of different imagery. It's almost a dreamlike imagery in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, there's different sections of it kind of have different imagery. I'm not really sure how they fit together 
the the most mellow song on the album that's kind of about like the most destructive thing and it's just kind of about like something hard and powerful and unexpected i think it's kind of a dark song but like there's also the imagery of like a release and of someone out there somewhere who's still staying on their course you know but yeah i i can't really if you add me that's the best i can do to describe what the song's about so <laughs> but i like the lyrics i think it came out good i guess it's sort of the chorus section the uh tell the jewelers seven crowns for me one for every night of the week place the next one by my bed while i sleep and don't forget to leave the key yeah and i'm just like trying to decipher what the key could be <laughs> well are there keys for crowns um <laughs> no but i mean i think that like you know uh like i think that in my mind what i was thinking was like uh after you've like placed the crown in my my bedroom like leave the key behind like lock oh. behind you you know what i mean um <laughs> So that you can't get in at other, other until I give you the key back, you know. Um, I think that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, it, like it, it's a literal key, but the the metaphor is more about like, like being left behind where like that other person can't get back in. Um, but I also didn't really think about it that hard at the moment because it just rhymed, and I was like, I'm moving on, you know. Like, <laughs> I mean, there's when, yeah. and when you're writing lyrics on a deadline, it's like you know, there's a lot of times where I'm like, okay, well, for for starters not every line should be a good line. Right, yeah. You're never going to write a song where every line is amazing. There's filler stuff and it sets up the amazing stuff. You know what I mean? I yeah. feel like I've only scratched the surface of, in my own work of how good lyrics can be, but obviously there's tons of great lyricists out there. So to have like what I consider throwaway spacer kind of lines, that that's fine. It rhymes. The, the vowels are such that I can sing it without screwing myself up and uh, it doesn't sound terribly stupid. So that met those three criteria and that's why it's in the song. <laughs> nice. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, <laughs> that's a great way to look at lyrics too. That's something I guess I hadn't articulated before what you're saying about not every line should be an amazing line because yeah. the 15 year old poet want to be in their bedroom, just like trying to like make every line just like drip with, poetic beauty and metaphor and just yeah. like how excruciating that would be to write but also to read or listen to you know obviously there's some people who you know i mean to go back to leonard cohen who have like definitely done that but that's a really rare talent and i do feel like it does get sometimes a little bit exhausting as a listener too mm -hmm. it's like cooking right it's like you don't want to have everything be totally saturated with like intense flavor the main course sticks out in a certain way and stuff that's kind of paired with it. When a listener or a reader goes through a song or a poem or whatever, you kind of highlight things by, by stepping away at other times. Obviously you don't want lines to be bad, but if there's something that's like not really that memorable, doesn't really stick out. It does kind of shape where the other things stick out. It's if you, if you douse everything with hot sauce, then after a while, nothing's really hot anymore. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's kind of like guilty of that sometimes literally with hot sauce, but, um, <laughs> uh, but yes, exactly. That is very true. I mean, I think it counts for just like songwriting overall too, in the sense of like, you know, there's a lot of times where like, it's okay to just like hit a chord and let it ring out and let the drums go on. You know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't have to be a killer riff or a smart chord change or true. a great melody. Like it can just be, it, it, it has to have peaks and valleys. I think like, you know, everything else. Yeah. The last question is, I think that one of the stupidest questions that I ask for some reason, Okay, maybe it's just to say it out loud, but it's just, how do you feel about the record? That's not a stupid question. That's, I mean, that's <laughs> probably the, you know, the question really, when you get down to it. So like, do you like your children? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's yeah. well, in a sense, but this is kind of like you got a kid for a week and then had to say if you like the kid, <laughs> you right, know, right, right. Yeah. I don't really feel like this was kind of birthed in the same way as 99% of the other things that I've done, even though it was, I mean, songs do start with me strumming out the guitar chords and passing them on to the guys. And you know, that, that process is the same, but the fact that it was like, I, I feel very good about this considering that we did it in a week that we 
recorded it and and I mixed it, which is something that I've done a fair amount of that in the past, but always with minimal equipment. And it's always been a, a, a learning process and it still is a learning process, you know. And uh, we're doing a live stream on my friend's uh, platform called Band Nada. That's B-A-N-D-N-A-D-A uh, okay. dot, dot com on the 17th of October. And we're going to play the Oracle, which so it's, it's made it into a live set. Oh, that's awesome. We're happy with it. You know what I mean? Like we also realize that the songs aren't as evolved as songs that we've played live multiple times, played in the practice room 10, 20 times. And I think that there's definitely little tweaks at the very least that would have been made arrangement wise. I was thinking I have to make this like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, or something that's like where you can mm-hmm. just write it down on a sheet and they, and they can see it and, and just play along to it, you know? doing a lot of things like, okay, so there's an extra measure at the end of the second chorus. And then there's a build right before we like all that stuff. I was like, forget about it. Like that's going to complicate mm. the process, you know, of trying to get this recorded in a week. But those things do often add another level to songs. So I wouldn't say it feels incomplete, but it feels a little bit under evolved. But I mean, mm-hmm. hey, for a song like, you know, the gallows should be under evolved. It should be straightforward. I mean, Oracle, I think maybe I like the cool noise interlude, but I think we could do more than that with that. The endings of all of them are a little a little just cut off because I was like, okay, song's over without thinking <laughs> about a cool way to end it, you know? But yeah, right. again, it's like all that stuff. It was like, so I we're all really, we're really happy with it. Overall, I think the drums sound pretty good. The guitar sound and bass sound sound great. And yeah, I mean, we're kind of deciding like we did a cover for a Halloween compilation for a charity. So we might tack that on to this four song EP and maybe get it professionally mastered. That's sick, yeah. You know, that's still up in the air, but you know, for now, we're satisfied, and it was a a really great feeling of accomplishment to finish it. That's great, yeah. What are the best ways to find more music by the Planes or more music by you? The Planes NYC again. That's P L A N E S, like flying planes. NYC dot Bandcamp dot com is the place to find all the recordings that we've done over the years. Now the band is me, Matt, and Carlo. And we have all of our stuff up there. If you download anything, um, a bunch of it's free or name your own price. You can add your email address and you'll be on our mailing list, which will hit you up when our new album gets gets released. Do you guys have an Instagram account as well or are you? Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the Plains NYC Instagram account is a great way to get up to date on band going ons and also see my cats and a lot of the food I eat. Because I use it as my personal account too. But it's if you like cats and rock and roll, <laughs> that is the Instagram account to follow. Well, I know that I fit that category. I'm not sure yes. if everyone does, but a lot of, I'm a lot of people fit that category. But uh, okay, well, cool, man. Uh, I think that that uh, means that we are at the end of the all right the uh, the interview process here, and it's been really great talking. And thanks again for doing this, and and I'm really happy to have you be part of it now. I think it's great, you know. Yeah, thanks for for asking us. And it was just a super, you know, sometimes stressful, but fun project to do. And it kept me creative and active and not feeling just like I wasn't just sitting in a corner waiting to hear my other mixes come back. You know, I was like, all right, let's do something. And uh, yeah, yeah, we're all really happy with it. Um, So thanks. It was great catching up with Steven, and I'm so glad the band had time to finally come on the show and make this happen. I hope that you all enjoyed the chat, too. As a reminder, The Planes will be performing live on the internet on Saturday, October 17th at bandnada.com slash b slash The Planes. The link is also in the show notes. You can head over to theplainsnyc.bandcamp.com to check out more of their awesome music and sign up for their mailing list to get news about their upcoming full length. If you enjoy this podcast, please tell a friend about it and please subscribe, follow, and give us a review. It really, really helps a lot. You can also come say hi on Instagram where I post images of the guests and the instruments they use to make their weekly EPs. And if you or someone that you know would like to do your own weekly EP, please get in touch. We would love to hear from you.